Last week, we began a new series in the book of Jonah. That may be a little bit of a surprise. I know uh, last week was a travel week for many people, so the intention was to sort of have two intros into Jonah. Um, We're going to spend the first four sermons on the first two chapters, and then I'll be out for a few weeks, and then we'll come back and uh, spend four more Sundays on the final two chapters. So we're looking at the beginning of Jonah. All of you know that Jonah uh, was swallowed by a fish, right? Um, we know that part. Most of you know Jonah was running from God. And uh, as, as Doug mentioned, we're kind of building on that theme. But when you come to a prophet and you hear a prophet like Jonah and, and you read that he's running from God, our, our response must be to ask, are we prone to do that? Right? The, po- the point of the prophets is to warn us. So when we see the prophets behaving a certain way, that doesn't mean we're definitely doing that, but it's a good idea to come to this message and wonder, how do I behave in ways like Jonah? Where am I struggling to grasp the mercies of God? Um, so I want to read you one, a, um, a, re- a resolution of Jonathan Edwards along these lines. He says, resolved to act in all respects both speaking and doing, as if nobody had been so vile as I, and as if I had committed the same sins or had the same infirmities or failings as others, and that I would let the knowledge of their failings promote nothing but shame in myself and prove only an occasion of my confessing my own sins and misery to God. What a cheerful person. But it's beautiful, actually. He's saying, when I come up and I sense and I see actual sin that I would not focus on that sin as much as on my own. And I think it's a healthy posture as Christians when we come and look at Jonah to ask, Lord, how are we prone to wander in the same way Jonah is? So let's look now. We're actually going to just focus. I know in the guide it says uh, 1 through 16. What we're going to do is focus on verses 1 to 6 this morning and really highlight and look at Jonah and how he runs Then next week, we're going to focus on 1 through 17 and look at the beauty and the magnitude of God's pursuit of Jonah. That's what we're going to do. So look with me, verses 1 to 6. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. This is the word of the Lord. Father, you are a loving loving God. And so often, Lord, we allow our own 
unbelief to cloud the reality of your love and your pursuit. And I pray this morning, Jesus, that as we look at this passage and think of your gospel, that we will realize you cherish us and you have called us to you, that you are a gracious God, and that we would see our need for you is as great as anyone else's, that Jonah would have seen that the Ninevite's sin was not greater than his own. I pray we would do the same, that we would recognize our need of you freshly today. Amen. So we're looking at this idea of running and what it means to run. Uh, so a story that I've talked about before that just kind of captured my attention in many of us is the story of Frank Abagnale, who forged checks. He's actually from Tulsa. Remember this person who ended up becoming, when you cash large checks, you need to have a job that would earn that money. So he became a pilot. He pretended to be a pilot, and then he pretended to be a lawyer. And then he pretended to be a doctor. You may remember the movie Catch Me If You Can. In the movie, as he's living this life and he's running, uh, we're told that the reason for all of this running stems from his parents' divorce. Remember, his mom and dad had this beautiful marriage. That's what the, the movie depicts. And it's when he comes in and finds them divorced and he finds his mom having an affair and his world is shattered that he runs. And so... I want to tie that into what we're looking at this morning. You and I are prone to running when our earth seems to shatter, our world, our view. And for Jonah, his view, his understanding of God was shattered. Okay, when God says, go to Nineveh because of their evil and proclaim to them, he's saying, I'm going to rescue these people. For Jonah, that was such a new and large difference that it just caused in him this longing to get away, to run. Right, and so he did. What we're going to find is this. When, I'm going to do a negative and a positive. So I'm breaking all the preaching rules. Here's a negative. When we run from God, it is always because we don't understand him fully. When you are running, it's because you're not understanding him. Now, positively. To the degree that we really do know the Father, we will want to remain. We will want to be near him. Okay, So as we process this idea of running from God, understand we're running because of our lack of understanding. That if we could fully know God, we would want nothing more than to be in his presence, right? So let's just define running for a moment. Uh, what does it mean to run? I think it's pretty obvious in our passage. Jonah actually like runs, like he leaves. In fact, if you look at everything he does geographically, it's the opposite of what God had told him to do, right? Instead of going by land to Nineveh, he goes by sea, or he's trying to, to Tarshish, which is probably in Spain. Um, and in a, weird, in a weird way, it kind of reminds us at the end of the book where, where God tells Jonah, they, know, they don't know their left hand from their right hand. It's almost like, well, either does Jonah. Like Jonah is behaving by his unbelief and his running, that he doesn't understand his right hand from his left. In other words, he has all of this knowledge of God, but he's not able to utilize it in the moment of need. So he runs. But what I want to draw your attention to is verse 3. We talked about this last week. Twice in this verse, we see the, word, the words, Jonah uh, fleed from the presence of the Lord. Now, if you go through the story with the waves and the mariners, and the confusion, and then finally throwing Jonah overboard, Jonah was aware of God's omnipresence. Like Jonah did not think he was going to outrun God's ability to see him. But what he was leaving was the intimacy 
with his father. By leaving Jerusalem and Israel and his home area and running, he was based, and he's telling us this story, he was trying to get away from that closeness, that intimacy, the, the felt presence of the Lord. All right, another word for, um, actually, I'm going to hold off on that. So what I want to say is this. Jonah hears this commandment to go and do this kind thing, and he thinks that can't be right, that God's wrong. And so the unaided, the unaided human heart is always trying to fix where God's making the mistake, right? We think God, God's not good, God's not wise, God's not just, so we'll fix it. And Jonah thought he'll fix it by running. And so as we process what it means to run, my, my hope is that you'll see it's a spiritual posture of trying to correct where we think God is going wrong. Does that make sense a little bit? It's hard to say no to that. Does anyone want to shake their head no? You're welcome to. So we're going to look at three things, the ways we run, why we run, and how to stop running, okay? So the ways that we run. So we see Jonah um, really doing two forms of running in this four-chapter book. The first one is he's leaving and disobeying completely, right? We know that. That's what we're talking about. But after chapter two, we're going to talk about in a few weeks, Jonah comes back seems to repent, and seems to obey. And then he goes to Nineveh, but he really isn't obeying. Like, he doesn't really love that God's calling him to the Ninevites. He's really upset. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. But many scholars have said, really, Jonah is the Old Testament picture of the parable from Luke 15 of the prodigal sons. That, that really what you see in that parable, if you'll remember, is there's a father who is loving, and there's an elder brother who has all the rules down, he does his duty well, and there's a younger brother that runs and leaves, right? And remember the story, the younger brother returns after everything has ran out, he's coming to be a slave, and the father runs after him and pursues him, and then the older brother, what? He's, un he's unsatisfied, he's unhappy, because he cannot believe that this father would welcome the son back in. And that's really a picture of Jonah's heart. Jonah's view of, of God is such that he cannot believe he would let this evil nation repent, right? There's a book by Flannery O'Connor called Wise Blood, and, and the main character, Hazel Moat, has this quote, <clears throat> or she says this about him. There was already, as a child, there was already a deep, black, wordless conviction in him that the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin, right? And so there's something in us, as we think about what it means to run, and I want you to process, is some of you, actually all of us, all of you and all of me, run at times by just sinning. You sin, you do things that you know are wrong. That's a type of running, right? But a lot of times we run by trying to be good people, and trying to get everything correct, and trying to control our world in such a way that maybe we don't need a savior, right? Both can be equally bad. Um, and I, and I'm, I'm fascinated by Jonah falling asleep, right? right? We find him in this ship laying down, and he's asleep from exhaustion, right? And it reminds us of Jesus, who's also asleep in the New Testament on a boat when the waves are slamming. But Jesus 
is tired having worked hard at loving people, right, and doing ministry. Jonah is asleep on this boat, I think, out of exhaustion from the running he's been doing. So here's my first thought application-wise for you. Where are you tired? Where are you exhausted? Not exhausted from doing hard work, not the exhaustion that comes from parenting two little precious twins, but where are you tired and exhausted because of the image you're hiding behind, right? What are you doing to kind of try to make your world perfect? Is it the right career, the right relationship, the right house decor, the right Facebook post, the right car, the right theology, you know? I mean, pastors, oftentimes we come into this line of work because if we can get our knowledge in order, we can put out this image that we don't need a savior. What are you doing to run? What way are you running? I really want you all to think through that, and then we'll go around, I'll pass the page, and we'll just all, no, I don't know, that, that never gets old to me, that joke, but I'm quite certain it gets old to you. All right, so what I want to talk about is uh, not just the ways that we run, we're going to hold on to that concept, but we really need to dig d- deeper into the why. Why is Jonah fleeing God? Okay, what I said at the very beginning is if we actually see God as he is, the last thing we want to do is run. So somehow, Jonah's image of God has been skewed in such a way that when he hears this commandment, he can't accept it, right? And so he's fleeing. And we, and we mentioned that he's fleeing the presence of God. Uh, the Hebrew for the word presence is also the word face, He's literally running from the face of God, right? Now, he can't physically see that face, but nonetheless, he's running from the face of God. I was reading this week, and I wanted to read this to you, an author that says this, what do you crave most in life? Is it chocolate, the Ferrari F430, a vacation in Fiji, sex? Actually, there is something each of us wants more, even more than the air we breathe, connection. While connection may not be our top need for immediate physical survival, our creator has formed us in such a way that there is nothing more crucial to our long-term welfare. In fact, virtually every action we humans take is part of the deeper attempt to connect with other humans. Right? drive around and watch people on their phone. Nothing wrong with that. They're trying to connect. You're not ever looking at your phone unless you're playing a game, like Meredith, sorry. (laughs) She's got a brand new phone. Sorry, I'm in trouble. I've already gone down the wrong path. I'll pay for that. Just kidding. Um, But even games is often anymore you're connecting to people on the other side of the game. Uh, Facebook and texting, and so we're trying to stay connected. We're trying to see that our world is connected to other people. And so there's something about the face of God and the presence of God that would also mean the presence of the people of God. So that when Jonah leaves, like he's leaving everything he knows, and he's going into utter isolation. And you feel it when he goes to Nineveh later, but you feel it in this boat. He's by himself. He's in the belly of this boat, and he's alone, and he's fleeing. Why? Because his view of God's face 
was not, in my take, one of a loving, kind father. It's something in his view was off. There's a great movie I would recommend to adults. It's actually a Christian documentary type movie called The Heart of Man. It's on Amazon. Um, And Dan Allender is one of the panelists. They have several different uh, men and women talking about their pasts and struggles. And it it deals with shame and sexual addiction. But interposed with their interviews is this story of a man, and it's done very well. There's no dialogue, just music, and his father who loves him. And how shame and sin drive him away. And and really the point of this entire uh, movie is to say shame drives you into isolation, into secrecy, away from people. And it stems from a distortion of God's love for you. That even though his father in this movie is beautiful, look at him and delightful, that's not what he's noticing. But there's one person interviewed throughout the whole thing that talks about his upbringing. He said, my dad, he didn't have the chip for being a father. So a good way to say it. In other words, he's saying, my dad like, was not loving. My dad did not attune. My dad did not pay attention and lean in. He was a harsh man. And here's this quote. It said, he says, it took me all of 50 years to wipe the face of my father completely off the face of God. Our significance comes from who we are and not from anything we will ever do. I think he's right. I think it's very common, if not the norm, for us to unwittingly envision God as being some sort of makeup of the people who've had the most influence on our lives. And so even though it's not a physical face we see, there's a sense in which we're hearing their voices and not the kindness and the love and the attunement of the Father. Right? And for Jonah, when he hears this, this commandment, I don't think he knows what to do with it, and so he runs. How do you see the Father? There's a, a movie, uh, I think it's No Way Out, and I don't really care about the movie for the illustration. I care about one little concept. Kevin Costner's a spy. His photo's been taken. They have this, uh, it's old, like 80s, so they have this like really antiquated technology trying to read this photograph, and it's scan, like there's like a scan, and then it gets a little sharper, and throughout the movie, I'm probably changing everything about this movie up right now, but my memory is that he would have to keep kind of checking in to see how close they were to discovering who the photo was. It was him, right? And so when they find out who it is, they're going to know he's the spy from Russia. Okay, all I care about is this technology. Are you with me? We have this technology. It's blurred image, and it scans, right? That's what we're doing with the Father. That's sanctification, we're going to Scripture, we're going to the means of grace, and we're, we're coming into the Father and we're saying we need clarity. We're bringing our life, our experiences, everything that we have, and when we come to the Lord, we're seeking a clearer picture of that Father's face, the beauty of his eyes. We're seeking to wipe off the image of the wrong images that we've put on him, and we're seeking a clearer picture of him, Right? Think about the, first, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. How many of you hear, when you hear that, this? The Lord your God loves you with all of his heart, his soul, 
his strength in his mind. Isn't that what it has to mean? Is the Bible calling us to love the Lord more than he loves us? No. But we hear it that way. Oh, I've got to go do this. And it's an actual invitation. If you are in Christ, if you have been redeemed, you have this relationship with the Father that is such that you would delight to love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, because he is good, right? And how is that going to be the most revealed in your life? How do you love your neighbor? How do you interact with people? So our, our final thought, we've talked about uh, the ways we run. Sometimes it's just like the prodigal way. Sometimes it's a legalistic way. There's a million ways we probably have fit, figured out how we run. Why are we running? Because we don't fully see the presence of God. We don't fully see his face. So how do we remain? How do we return? How do we not do what Jonah did? And I would say again, the real problem for Jonah is this isolation. Um, the Bible talks about community. Um, a neuroscientist, I was, uh, he says, you're, if your neurons are isolated, they die. I didn't know that. And he goes on to say, if brains are isolated from one another, they will eventually die. And we've heard of studies with children where they would not give them any, pay attention to the children. It's a horrific study from a long, long time ago. And the children themselves could either die or get very diseased. We need connection, right? So what should Jonah have done? Here's what I think. Jonah should have chosen a third way. He could run like he does, he could just go to Nineveh and get it over with, which he does later. Or there's a third way. I think a good picture of that third way is Jesus in the garden, where Jesus says, if you would allow this cup to pass before me, like, I don't want to do this. Jonah can say that. You have the freedom to say that when God's, when God's instruction comes to you and you are struggling with, and why this illness? Why this situation? Why am I not in a relationship? Why am I called here? Why are we struggling with that again? And you hear God's answers coming to you and you don't like them. You can run, like Jonah, in one of two ways. Or there's the third way, and that's to go to him in prayer, as Jesus does, and says, take this cup from me. He's, he's honest. He's begging the Lord. But he says, thy will be done. But what I love about that scene is his longing for community. Remember twice he goes back and he checks with his disciples to see if they're with him, if they're praying for him, if, he's, if they're connected with him? That's your Savior, longing for community in that dark hour. How are you with community? When you think about David, for example, in Psalm 51, he has sinned, he's confessing his sin, but what does he say? Against you and you only have I sinned. In other words, I broke community with you, God, primarily, but then at the very end of the psalm, he says, once this restoration happens, I will then teach your word in the sanctuary. I will proclaim. You have Psalm 42 where uh, the psalmist is isolated and alone, longing to be with God, but what does he say? To lead the sacred throng. You need community. Right, Psalm 73, one of my favorites, where the psalmist says, my feet had almost slipped like I'm, he was struggling with envy. Um, the arrogant seemed to always flourish until he went to the sanctuary. Was it empty? 
Was he, did he walk into a cavernous room? No, he worshiped. In the sanctuary where there is, where there is sacrifice for sin, he went in and realized, I have a savior who holds me by my right hand and I have nowhere else I long to be. So how are you running? I think one of the ways we run here at Grace, I'm just gonna be honest, is we're really good at being popular. We really are. We were really good at being great. I'm doing great. And that's not, I'm not trying to be critical. I'm gonna press you to move in on your relationships, to reveal I'm actually struggling with depression. I actually have been struggling with anxiety. I actually have problems. I need help. If we would begin to move in in that sense, I think our community would begin to flourish. So I'm going to recap what we're doing, and then I'm going to give you a few more thoughts. We're noticing the ways that we run, and I think, again, hiding. Everything's great. Chill water, right? Just, we're here chilling. When's the next OSU game, right? I'm not trying to be mean. I love sports. I was rooting them on yesterday in softball. But we do that well. I do that well. Americans do that well. Pay attention to the ways we're hiding from the presence of the Lord by hiding from other people. Secondly, why? Start to ask yourself privately, I think, in prayer and journaling, a close friend, like, why, what, why am I not running to God? Like, why am I avoiding his presence, his intimacy? What am I, what's happening? I have, the, I have the theology, but why is it not taking hold in my heart? And begin to pay attention to that and claim that and name that. It's beautiful. We can repent of that. And then the third thing I want to come right back to for our primary application is community. Um, are you letting people know you? And here's the best way, and this is the most practical thing I'm going to say. If you want to get good at being known, begin asking people how they're doing in such a way that you really want to know. When you are with somebody and you are talking to them about the love of the Father, guess what begins to happen to you? I heard an RUF minister once say he believed that God calls pastors to preach the gospel because we need it for our sanctification. I wholeheartedly agree. I don't believe what I'm telling you right now until tomorrow. Like tomorrow, I'm like, God, I, was, I needed that. You know, I really, during the day, it's on my mind. I believe it. But oftentimes, it's the preaching of it that makes it work. Well, you all are preachers. When you tell someone else, God loves you. Someone's like, I just don't believe it. How, it's, I'm, I'm not, it's very easy, and I don't mean that sarcastically. It's very easy to say, he does. You're a believer. Let me tell you, Jesus loves you. And guess what it starts to happen to you? Maybe he loves me. Getting in other people's lives, asking them how they're doing, being a place of refuge, and sharing the love of Jesus in community will actually change you as much as when people ask you how you're doing. And you begin to share that as well. Community strengthens in that way. I, I pray that we do that more. I pray that we get more hands-on in our souls. How are you doing in your spiritual life, brother, sister? How are you handling this difficult thing? I don't have any answers, but I just want to listen. 
if we begin to do that with each other in community, that's our third way. I think God becomes more, that, that scan becomes more clear, doesn't it? And more clear and more clear. And it's the face of Jesus saying, I love you. Let's pray. Lord, we are prone to run, to wander from you. And I'm convinced when I do that, it's because I'm not seeing you clearly as you are. I have distorted you through unbelief, through past relationships, through so many other reasons, and I see you, Jesus, calling all of us through Scripture, through the means of grace, through community and fellowship, and ultimately repentance and faith to come to this clear, more biblical, pure view of who you are as a loving Father. Thank you for Jonah, that he not only lived this story, but he wrote it faithfully with every detail that we need. Let us not be people who think we would never do this, but let us confess that we are also prone to run, and we want to run to you for your glory. Amen.